Today we are studying, we are actually in the last message of this series that we have presented here on the sanctuary message and on the cleansing of the sanctuary and the pre-advent uh, judgment and Christ's intercession for us. I have encouraged you to look, on, uh, look up a presentation online and I hope you have done this. I encourage you to send me questions, I didn't receive any. So either everything was clearly understood or you still have to look at the presentation online. So either way, I hope you, you can do it and be blessed as well. And still, if you have any questions, feel free to send those questions by email and we'll try to address that. Uh, but before we do this today, before we study this final topic, which has to do with becoming ripe, for the glory of God, I'd like to ask God's direction, and so please join me as we pray. Lord, we are here in your presence to worship your name. We are here, Lord, in the presence of our brothers and sisters to fellowship. And we have been so blessed so far, Lord, with the music, with the testimonies, with the lessons we've learned, with that which we have studied from Scripture so far. But now, Lord, as your word is going to be proclaimed, I ask, Father, that you may give us a special blessing at this time. I ask, Lord, that your angels may be surrounding this place, that we may enjoy the protection of your angels. We ask, Lord, that the Holy Spirit may be in our midst, filling our hearts and minds with the right thoughts, helping us stay focused on the message. And I pray, Lord, that you may use me as your instrument, that you may hide me behind the cross of Christ, that as John the Baptist said, that he may increase and I will decrease. May your word be preached and may be it delivered and declared this morning here today. Cleanse us all, Lord, from our righteousness and allow us to be used as your instruments. I ask you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So during these messages we shared here, we talked about the sanctuary, we talked about the judgment, and our starting point five weeks ago was on the fact that Jesus is our intercessor. Our starting point was based on the fact that Jesus' uh, main intention is to make sure that you and I get saved. And as the devil will stand up and cry out before God and the angels that we are not fit to heaven, because based on the evidence of our own sins, that Jesus will stand up and will declare that we are faithful servants of His, that we have committed our life to Him, and He will cover us with His righteousness. And He will plead on, on the benefits of His own blood that you and I are indeed fit to heaven. And we also quoted that text in John 3.17 that says that Jesus was not sent into the world to condemn the world, but that through Him the world might be saved. We focused on that the first time. Then in the second message we talked about the date of 1844, 
And we talked about the fact that according to scripture, it can be determined, it can be demonstrated that there is a pre-advent judgment taking place right now. And it started in 1844. And I asked the question, so what about those who lived prior to 1844? Didn't they receive the blessing of Christ's intercession? Were they not covered by the benefits of Christ's death, resurrection, intercessory ministry? Yes, Jesus has always been interceding. God has always been working with the Son in behalf of His children. Trying to save them and protect them from the attacks of the enemy. But what is it then special about 1844 onward? What is it any different that Jesus is doing now? What is it any different about the ministration of Christ in the heavenly sanctuary that would be of interest to each one of us? What is it any different for those living here in this time, in the time of the judgment? While we talked that the cleansing of the heavenly sanctuary, the pre-advent judgment, Christ's intercession, the day of atonement, all those are different expressions to the same event, to the same thing that is happening right now. And so the cleansing of the heavenly sanctuary is not for anyone to think that the heavenly sanctuary has somehow been defiled. And that is impure and it needs cleansing. The cleansing of the heavenly sanctuary is about God's character because God's character has been challenged by Satan. But the cleansing of the heavenly sanctuary as we saw in Daniel 7.22 is much about you and I. Is it much about the saints of the Most High? Who will have judgment made in their favor? So much so that they go on to possess the kingdom, according to Daniel 7.22. And so it is in favor of the saints of the Most High. It's for the benefit of the true believers. But why do we say then that this is any different from before? What is happening now that makes it different? In what sense is it different from the ministration that Jesus uh, exercised before as our priest? The cleansing of the sanctuary has to do with God's people. Because Daniel 7.22 says that judgment was made in favor of the saints of the Most High. So at least we need to understand that the judgment... That the intercessory work of Christ, that the cleansing of the sanctuary has to do with making people ready to take possession of the kingdom. It has to do with something that happens in the life of the believer that will make them fit to possess the kingdom. It has to do with something that takes place in the life of the believer so that the judgment outcome will be in their favor. And in fact, our scripture today from Revelation 14, this scripture reveals that there are two possible outcomes of the judgment. One is so much positive and the other is indeed negative. In Revelation 14, 14 to 16, which Caitlin read this morning, talks about the positive outcome for the true believers of God. But then going on Revelation 14, Verses 17 through 20 describes the negative outcome for those who do not believe in God. For those who do not accept Jesus as their Savior. 
And so, of course, I want to focus today on the positive outcome of the judgment, on the positive aspect of the judgment. And so I invite you to come back with me and read again Revelation 14, verses 14 to 16. Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and on the cloud sat one like the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Thrust in your sickle and reap, for the time has come for you to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. So he who sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. And so this symbolic vision refers to the harvest of grain which happened in the springtime. Now I don't know how close to home this is. Maybe we, we do have some farmers here who have harvested grain in the spring. Maybe not. So I'll use another illustration that is pretty much similar to this one. And maybe it will be, a close, be closer to home for most of us. You, th you see when the summer comes and late spring and summer comes, many people go out on, uh, to farms to pick their own fruit, right? So you pick your, pick your own. And what happens there is that you go to the plant and picking fruit literally means that you're going to pluck the fruit out of the plant and collect it. So this is the same imagery as here. This is the same as the, in the image, imagery of Revelation 14. Because the Son of Man comes with his sickle and he reaps the stalks of grain. And he thrusts the sickle and he cuts the stalks of grain at their base and collects them. Now here's my question. I've given the answer actually. So when the Son of Man comes with the sickle and thrusts the sickle on the grain, does it do that just for the sake of cutting it off? No. They're cut, but they're also what? Collected. And they're collected in sheaves, right? And they're bundled in sheaves and they're safely placed somewhere. It's the same when you go pick your own fruit. You look at the fruit and you pluck it out of the plant and it'll throw it away. You were plucking it out of the plant because you want to keep it. And that's what the, the picture is, is given for us here. That the Lord is collecting the grains of stock, the stocks of grain. He's collecting them for a purpose. He's not throwing them away. They will be kept. They will be preserved. They will be saved. Now when you go out to the farm and you pick your own. And you look at the fruit. What kind of fruit do you pick? The best, right? The best of the best. So you set yourself a standard. And you say, I'm going to pick strawberries that are absolutely, absolutely dark red. Nothing different from that. And you look at the fruit, at the different fruits, and you say, this one I'm picking. And you pluck it out of the plant. So you want to make sure that you're picking the best. The best of the best. And it's no different with the Son of Man thrusting his sickle to reap those who were ready. He's looking for the best. He's looking for you. For the best in you, not for your best, but he's looking for the best. 
And there can be nothing better than Christ's character himself revealed in you. So that's what he's going to be looking for. For people who have revealed his character, have allowed him to reveal his character in them. So that they will look and say, this is the best fruit I have. And he will, he will reap them. And so, just yesterday, I was reading this in the news. I was reading this in the news. Where is it? It was in the news, but it is somewhere here. This company, I won't advertise for them, but they have this zero food waste uh, policy. And it's actually a, a booklet that is titled, Would I Buy It? And so this is what was in the news. Over the past few years, a little green manual has been slowly making its way into the hands of workers of a large retail. Large retailer. Title, Would I Buy It? The manual is a visual guide that helps employees decide whether fruits and vegetables are still good for sale and when they should or when they should be cold. For example, the sapota, maybe Sunny and Tina know this fruit. It's very common in India. It's a tropical fruit. It is supposed to soften as it ripens. The guide states, slightly wrinkled skin is completely normal. Don't throw it away. So the idea is to reduce the amount of perfectly good produce that is going to waste. Now, that will never happen with the Son of Man. That will never happen with Jesus. Because he'll look and he'll identify precisely the best fruit. And he does it for the, for the intent of gathering his children. If you turn our Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew 24 in verses 30 and 31. Matthew 24, 30 and 31. The Bible says in the words of Jesus himself, Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a great sound of trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. So this is what Jesus is interested in doing when he comes to reap. He's not just going to cut the grain for the sake of cutting them off, but he's gathering them. You gather them together from all corners of the earth. But when you look at picking the best, someone actually gave this answer prior. You look at the fruit and you pick the best, which means that the fruit is also ripe, right? You are looking for ripe fruit. And so, God in the book of Revelation in our text for today, God is looking for people who are ripe. And this is what Jesus is looking forward to. As Christ is interceding for his people, he's looking forward to preparing a people who will be ripe for his coming. A people who will be solidly grounded in the word a people who will be ripe and will not be shaken by any wind of doctrine 
So that when Jesus comes, we'll look and we'll see that there are fruit, there are people who are ripe, and they will be reaped. So what Jesus is willing to do is not expecting the right behavior from you. You know, if you pick strawberries up, you see that the strawberry himself, the strawberry itself, doesn't do anything to become ripe. It must be nourished. It must receive sunshine. But then God looks after it. And there comes that beautiful fruit. And so as Jesus is looking forward to seeing a people who is ripe, it is His work in our lives that will make us fit to heaven. He wants to make sure that there are no bugs, no worms in our lives. He wants the best he wants perfect fruit. He wants ripe fruit. And he has made all the necessary provisions for that. So what kind of provision has Jesus made? How is his people going to look like when he comes? A people that is ripe for his coming. You know, if I were to ask what would be the, the most evident characteristic in the life of a Christian... That Jesus would be looking for and people outside of the church would be looking for. Probably the immediate answer would be love. We need to be a loving people. And that's true. But remember that I said that the sanctuary message. The sanctuary message, I understand, as I understand it, holds the key for us to understand how we are saved by grace. How we are saved by God's love. And at the same time, we are judged by our works. The sanctuary message puts them both together. Much is said about God's love. Much is said about love. And we must be loving when we must love one another. And that's true. But I'm afraid that we use the word love just as a panacea for just about everything. Well, if the church is not growing, then we need more love. Well, if, if there is a problem, if there is uh, illness in the family, we need more love. If there is anything, we need more love. If the church is not warm as it should be, we need more love. We do need the love of God. But love is not sentimentalism. Love is what made Jesus die on the cross. It may look as an ugly love, but it was love. I don't think we truly appreciate the desperate condition of the human being. I don't think we truly appreciate that look, God looked down from heaven and he saw men and women in a desperate state and that a drastic measure was necessary. Desperate situations demand drastic measures. It was a drastic measure to send Jesus... To be born of a woman and to grow up as a man and to give his life on the cross. It was absolutely drastic. It was God's love, but don't try to paint it with too much sentimentalism. Because it was painful. It was goresome. It was cruel. It was God's love manifested in the blood of Jesus being shed. And so today I think we use the word love just about for anything and everything. And we don't really stop to appreciate that.
God's love demands a response. God's love demanded a response on His part. He couldn't just go about and see men and women uh, dying to sin. And say, well, there isn't much I can do about it. God's love elicited a response and He responded and He sent Jesus. Jesus' death on the cross demands a response on your part as well. Jesus' death on the cross demands not only that you be sentimental and emotional, but it demands a rational response on your part. Christ's death on the cross was very drastic. There can be no salvation with compromise with evil. If God wanted to save us, He had to be serious about it. He had to be drastic. There should be no compromise. There can be no salvation from death without the destruction of evil. The total destruction of evil. People who think of God's love as being, as being just sentimental. And that God will never uh, raise His hand to destroy those who are clung to evil. They are wrong because God's love was what made Jesus die on the cross. And the day will come when God will finally eradicate sin and evil from this world. But before that happens, I have to say this today. Sin must be removed from your life first. From my life first. Because if we don't allow Jesus to remove sin from our lives, and that's part of the ripening process, if we don't allow Him to do that work, that full and complete work of removing sin from our lives, the day will come when God will come to resolve the issue of evil and sin in this world, and we will eventually be destroyed along with, with evil. And I don't want that for myself, I don't want that for any one of you. And so the time is now when Jesus is working to get a people prepared for His coming. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 6 verses 4 to 6 that if after we have accepted Christ. This may not sound as popular today because you know nobody what I'm going to say here because nobody wants to be called sinner. But I'm a sinner saved by grace. No one wants to be called that they are living in sin because sin seems to be... Uh, an outdated word, we don't want to use that. We, we would rather say, you know, uh, it was a mistake that I made. It was a misunderstanding. But sin is what it is. Sin is sin. And it was because of sin that Jesus died on the cross. I repeat this. We can't paint it otherwise. So the Bible says that if we have accepted Jesus, if we have committed our life to Him, we have received forgiveness of our sins. But then we keep going back to the same old sins. Keep going back to the same old sins. We might come to the place where we'll be literally crucifying Jesus for ourselves. Again. I'm not saying this. The Bible says it in Hebrews chapter 6 verses 4 to 6. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 4 to 6. I 
I'm absolutely comfortable sharing this message with you today. Because God never asked anyone to change their behaviors to be saved. What God asks is that you surrender your life to Jesus. And He will make the changes. Hebrews 6, 4-6 says, For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good work of God and the powers of the age to come. If they fall away, it is impossible to renew them again to repentance since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put Him to shame. That doesn't have to be my experience. That doesn't have to be your experience. Because Jesus, along with the forgiveness of sins, He's often offering full and complete transformation. Jesus is cleansing the sanctuary. And He's willing to cleanse you from your sin, from your sin and unrighteousness. So pastor, what does that have to do with me? Well, if you are interested in being part of God's people who will be ripe when He comes, you'll shun away from any sin. You'll shun away from anything that maybe you clung in the past, but you want Jesus to remove from your life and you run to Jesus. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10, Ephesians 3.10, Ephesians 3.10 says that God has revealed his mystery, a mystery that had been held for ages. And then Paul continues on to say in verse 10 that he did that to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by whom? By the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. And so it is through the church that God is looking forward to revealing this mystery of Christ. His wisdom, His manifold wisdom. It will be then, it will be at that point when all of God's children, when, when you and I individually surrender fully to God. You surrender any cherished sins, you surrender our will our desires, and allow Jesus to impart His power to change our lives, it will be then that we'll be ripe for the harvest. This is what the Bible says. This is the word of the Lord. And this is the work that Jesus is doing right now. Jesus is standing there not only to defend you before the enemy, to defend you against the enemy, but He is working now to cleanse you from sin and to impart new life. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So we must take God's word for what it's worth. He's saying that all things are made new. And this work of transformation is being offered for you and I today. Not tomorrow. Tomorrow is not guaranteed. It is today. Right here and now. The Lord can change you. The Lord can transform your life. If only you surrender everything. If only you surrender every part of your being. We sing that hymn. I surrender all. 
I surrender all. And I think that immediately the, the most immediate thought is I surrender my life. I surrender my, my wishes. I surrender my possessions. I surrender everything I have. Well, let me challenge you today to surrender your weaknesses. To surrender your failures. To surrender the ugly things in your life to Jesus. To surrender those things you are hiding from others. You give it to Him. You don't have to hide it from anyone anymore. Because you take it away. Surrender everything you are. Everything you have. Even those things you are ashamed of. Surrender it to Him. He will never make you feel ashamed. He will receive you. He will take it away. And He will cleanse you completely. Either we believe it or not. And I trust. I choose to believe in the Word of God. Surrender to to Him everything. Surrender to Him every rotten moral fiber of your soul. Because you made it new. If you only surrender to Him today. The word of the Lord says in Micah that He will again have compassion on you. And He will subdue our iniquities. And He will cast our sins into the depths of the sea. And of the day of atonement... And I close with this text, Leviticus 16.30. Leviticus 16.30. At the end of the day of atonement, here is the word of the Lord. Leviticus 16, verse 30. For on that day, the priest shall make atonement for you, to cleanse you. That you may be clean from all your sins before the Lord. I tell you brothers and sisters. I'll confess something to you. I had something totally different to speak on this morning. It was going to be on the ripening. But it was a totally different approach. And the Lord impressed me to bring this message. And I still hold it to be the word of the Lord for us today. The purpose of the Day of Atonement is to make atonement for the sins of the people and to cleanse them, to have them cleansed from their sins and iniquities. And I tell you, that's what the Lord is calling you and I for today. We have a golden opportunity here this morning. A golden opportunity to renew our commitment to the Lord. A golden opportunity to surrender everything to Him. The beautiful and the ugly. The good and the bad. We have a golden opportunity to today renew our vows with the Lord. Maybe we have failed in one point or another in our experience with the Lord. And He's calling us to a renewed commitment this morning. I would like to invite you all to partake and to participate of this communion service. There is something I need to... Uh, clarify maybe or to remind you that when Christ instituted the Lord's Supper there were two ceremonies attached one to the other as part of this of this event one was the washing of feet and so one thing goes along with the other in, in, in effect there is no real communion without the washing of feet and washing of feet 
detached from the communion service is just a, a hygienic, hygienic process, if you will. It has nothing to do with humbling yourself and washing someone else's feet and taking the role that Jesus took when he washed the disciples' feet. And uh, if we just were to take the, the emblems of the body of Christ, we're not going through the experience of humbling ourselves and, and doing what Jesus did. We took him all the way down to the cross. And so I invite everyone willing to partake of the emblems of the body and blood of Christ to also participate in the foot washing. I understand some people may have uh, mobility issues or, or even some people have a difficulty with someone else touching their feet. Surrender that to Jesus as well. Surrender even that. And he can take that away from you. But I strongly encourage you to take part on both, on both symbolisms. That will enhance your spiritual experience. And I should even say that Jesus, when he was washing the disciples' feet, he came up to Peter. What did Peter say? No, Lord. No, I'm not worthy. You shouldn't be doing that. And after some conversa conversation, Jesus said, If I don't do this to you, you have no, no part with me. And I want to have part with God. I believe you do. And so we're going to sing hymn number 350. And after, after that, we'll go downstairs for the washing of feet. And then we'll come back for the communion. <laughs>